The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Welcome along to another edition of the St Albans Film Guide with Howard Linsky. Yes, you heard that right. Howard Linsky is back. Hello. Oh, hello, mate. Thanks for the uh, uh, upbeat intro. <laughs> you make it sound like... Well, you know... You know yeah. Wow, it's, it's, it's Howard Linsky. What a big surprise. Yeah, but you know, here, it's, here again. It's the Howard Linsky. Yeah. Ah, true, true. Yeah, there's only one of us. Very much. Yes. Yeah, there's, there's only one Howard Linsky. And I don't mean that like they chant it on the terraces. It just happens to be factually correct that I'm the only one. <laughs> yeah. How yeah. are you, mate? You um, but, but yeah, Howard is... He- no, not really. I'm dying a man flu, but no one cares, so we won't, we oh, won't I care, on mate. I care. But, <laughs> oh, bless. But yeah, so um, it's Howard's turn for the film guide. And what that means is later in the show, we'll be looking at Howard's choice of films on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. We will also uh, be looking at a film that Howard has deemed too good to be forgotten. We'll find out more about that a bit later. We'll also have a look at what's what's new on the streaming services. Uh, but we'll start things off with some new releases in the cinema and uh, a couple of film, three films we're, we're talking about this week. Yes, we've got three. I was going to start with Annette, not, not necessarily in alphabetical order, but just because it is a fairly big release. But what an unusual movie um, by the look of this. It's got Adam Driver in it, uh, Marion Cotillard, and... Um, Both the music and the screenplay were written by the two brothers who you're probably far too young to remember from Sparks. Do you remember the group Sparks? Does that ring any bells at all? Ron and Russell This town ain't big enough for the both of us. That's the one. That's the one. Was that the song? Odd Guys, one of the brothers has a kind of Adolf Hitler thing going on with his moustache, which I've never really understood. But anyway, good band, slightly unusual movie makers, so... The plot of this one involves Adam Driver playing a guy called Henry McHenry, who is a stand-up comedian and quite an out there, fairly wild one, uh, provocative, I think is the word to describe him, who gets engaged to a world-famous soprano called Anne Defranu, and they have a child, a daughter, called Annette. Now, this is where the movie gets a little bit um, less than conventional. Uh, the movie is then, sorry, the, the child in the movie is portrayed by a wooden puppet, and the marriage begins to implode, as I probably would guess it would if you had a wooden baby. So this is the kind of area we're dealing with. It's a little bit um, out there, I think, is the way I would describe this one. Probably not one that I would normally be attracted to seeing if it wasn't for the fact that um, I was checking it out because of the uh, the podcast. But uh, anyway, she goes on an international tour because her career is still really good. His starts to implode. He's looking after the child stroke wooden marionette puppet thing. And uh, the marriage sort of implodes, heads that way anyway. And then there is, um, I guess you could describe it as murder and mayhem, really. And any more would be spoiling the end of the movie. But yeah, it's an, it's an odd one, this one. So maybe not a first date movie, unless you're into that kind of thing. Quite arty, I think. Um, don't, know, don't know what you think about the plot and the, the insertion of a of a puppet as opposed to a child. It's an, it's an unusual one. I don't think that's ever been done before. I mean, that that is that is weird. Um, so, mm. so just to be clear, everyone in the movie thinks it's a puppet or do they think it's a child? No, I think they. I think the fact. I think the, the idea is that it's a child and they all view it as a child. Everybody interacts with it as a child. And if you watch the trailer, which you can check out on, on YouTube or anywhere else that streams stuff, um, You'll see them interacting and running around and dancing with this kid. But, uh, yeah, apparently it's a puppet, so um, not a real child. But the, then the real child does make a an, an entrance at a fairly dramatic point late on in the movie, which I won't mention because I don't want to spoil the movie for those 
who were already thinking, Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard and Sparks, what could possibly go wrong? And uh, throw in a wooden baby and I'm there, boy, yeah. you know. <laughs> so it's an unusual would, one. Would but, they need to see the film know. quite, yeah. W- would they need to see the film quite quickly? So Would they need to beat the clock? To get there. Oh, oh, I like it. Beat the clock. Yeah, you see, I'm probably the only person out there getting that, that one. But that I was a, that one. That was a sparks, good sparks hit. Yeah, that was a sparks song. Yes, um, it was. Yeah, but it thank was. you for that. That deafening silence at the end of that. Thank you. Yeah. Anybody, anybody um, under no, the age of 35 uh, just push over their heads. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's typical, really. Um, interesting though you say about sparks because they've just been the the stars of a documentary movie that has uh-huh. been um, released in the cinemas, um, and it was by Edgar Wright. Who I oh, believe yeah. is he the guy who worked with um, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost? Is it the the the, the Cornetto trilogy? Ah, I don't. Yes, it might be. I mean, I I, think, I don't know why I was thinking Edgar Wright. Did he do Atonement? Am I getting completely mixed up? Maybe that's a totally different director. Probably. Yeah, Shaun of the Dead. These things um, at me without my re- yeah without my yeah, uh, no, he research, and I just the- have no idea. <laughs> He directed uh, Shaun of the Dead, Baby Driver, um, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, um, Hot Fuzz. Yeah, it, that's Edgar yeah, Wright. Absolutely British not atonement or anything from anything uh, <laughs> no. artistic. All right, oh, no. I didn't know. He's, he's recently done a, so. a movie. Yeah, about about, and it's called The Sparks Brothers. So as soon as you wow. started mentioning that, I'm thinking, oh, you're referring to that. But, but you're yeah, not. No, it's, uh, this is the weird movie they wrote and wrote all the music for. So probably worth checking okay. out for the soundtrack. But yeah. Okay, there you go. Well, that's Annette. Um, yes, now, tell us indeed. about Shorter. Right, Shorter. Um, this is spelt S-H-O-R-T-A, so it's not about someone being smaller than somebody else. Shorter is a Danish crime film, um, classed as an action film as well. It's about two police officers working together who uh, they end up trapped in a maze of apartment bu- uh, buildings in a, a sort of ethnic area in in a, in a Danish city when it all kicks off because there's been civil unrest in the wake of a, a, a death in custody. So it's it tackles the sort of race issues, the ethnic issues, the ideas around how do you police without you know being too harsh but also without being completely ineffective. So one of them is a bit more gung-ho than the other, for example. Um, one of the guys you may have seen is a guy called Simon Sears, who, if you've seen it, was in the Netflix series shadow and bone and the other actor is a guy called jacob Lohman. but i must admit i've never seen him in anything before um so they're on a routine patrol and then they're overtaken by a kind of riot and they have to flee the patrol car that they're in which is attacked and they they have a, a man in custody with them who obviously uh, they then uh, have an issue because they're trying to keep him with them, um, potentially use his knowledge to get out of the situation they're in, and of course he doesn't like or trust them. So yeah, it looks it looks pretty good. This one again, check out the trailer and uh, see what you think. But I thought it was good. If you're okay with subtitles, as I usually am, then this okay. one looks a bit more my kind of thing than perhaps Annette. Okay, that's uh, shorter um, Danish crime action film. And then the final one we're going to be talking about uh, in this part, Wildfire. Wildfire, yes. Okay, so this is um, set in Ireland in a small town on the Irish border, and it follows two sisters who are very close, Lauren and Kelly, and their mother dies mysteriously, and one of them, Kelly, um, just disappears, ups and disappears for a year. She's reported missing, and... The movie begins with her coming back after a year, and between them, they they confront the past, if you like. They have a darkened, 
traumatic past, which they uh, look back on, particularly involving their mother. <clears throat> and um, obviously, the one of the underlying themes here is the Troubles, because it is on the Irish border. It's an Irish border town. And a lot of this um, covers kind of the legacy of the of the troubles and maybe maybe is it a good idea to look back on this stuff or forget it? Um, some people don't want you digging around and finding out the truth in things, and others obviously cannot rest until they discover the truth. And it looks like a really well acted movie. The cast includes Nika McGuigan and Nora Jean Noon, and it's directed by Kathy Brady. And uh, it's had a lot of um, good reviews and mentions in uh, dispatches at film festivals and the like. So yes, it looks like it's worth checking out. Okay, uh, that's the final film from this section. That's called Wildfire. Hi, I'm Matt Adams, the heart of the Hearts Advertiser for over 10 years. Join me and host Danny Smith for St Albans Podcast, a weekly look at the news, views and reviews of the city and district of St Albans. As well as our delve into the local stories that matter, we regularly cover topics including health, food and drink, legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm, and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for the St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. Time for the second part of this week's uh, film guide now. And uh, this is where Howard uh, shares with us uh, the films that are coming out on streaming services. Just one this time around. Yes, there is. There's not, there's not lots going on at the moment, but um, Amazon have an Amazon original. And this, this is something you'll have never heard of before. It goes by the name of Cinderella. So there you go. And if you don't know who Cinderella is, well, you know, I probably, I'm probably um, t- talking to the wrong audience, but this is yet another Cinderella. Um, and it's described as a romantic mute. There have been a yes, lot, haven't there? Quite a lot over the years, haven't there? I mean, um, live action and animated versions and, and what have you. So, yes, I think we're all familiar with the old story. Um, this is an update. It's classed as a romantic musical comedy, and it stars the singer. Uh, am I going to pronounce this correctly? Camilla Cabello? Is that right? Oh, maybe maybe younger listeners will tell me I've got the inflection all I, wrong. That's how I think I would have said yeah, it. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I haven't been practicing, but hopefully I got it right. Yeah. So she, she plays Cinderella. And it's based on the original fairy tale by a guy called Charles Perrault. I didn't realize there was a, a sort of version that, that was accredited to a particular author, that fairy tale, but I guess there must have been. Um, it also co-stars Minnie Driver and Pierce Brosnan and the uh, ubiquitous James Corden, who is not only in it, but um, has produced it. So this is kind of his movie. And um, that probably will have the Marmite effect on everybody listening to this. Half of the audience will be going, oh, lovely. And the other half will be going, oh, my God, not him again. Because um, he does seem to divide opinion and be rather ubiquitous, I think, unless that's too controversial to say out loud. But um, Well, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure whether I, I wanted to watch this or not. But now you having told me that, it's, it's helped me make my ah, mind up. In what way? <laughs> Okay, yeah, I did think it was quite, but I mean, it's got a great cast, hasn't it? I mean, uh, yeah, a couple of good supporting roles in there for people. Yeah, Yeah. you've got um, Adina Menzel. Now, I'm not familiar with Adina. What's Adina Um, been in? She, uh, Frozen, she's the woman who sings Let It Go. Ah, I did not realize that. Very Um, good, yeah, yeah, and she's something, I think she's something of a a Broadway star, Mm. Adina Menzel. 
um, and she's become quite well known. Um, but uh, I noticed that James Corden plays a footman along with James Acaster, who's something of an up and coming British comedian, and Romish uh, Ranganathan, ah, yeah. uh, who, who seems to be on everything. Yeah, it's at funny the moment. how actors do that. They seem and to get cast in, in lots well. of things all at once and then they feel like they're everywhere. But um, yeah, anyway. So now is this? So this is a musical yes, version. And, well, so right? it's an updated. It's the singing in it. There's um, there's kind of more serious themes in the sense that Cinderella is very much cast as not just someone who wants to marry the prince. So there's quite a bit of even in the trailer. There's quite a lot about. Hang on a minute. You know, I'm a tailor. I want to sell my clothes that I'm making, and do I really want to give all that up for a prince? So you know, it's a bit of a modern, um, updated version. <clears throat> but. Um, Interestingly, it was meant okay. to be a cinema release, but then it's just I saw I saw here that it um, I saw it says on here um, a modern movie musical with um, a bold take on the classic fairy tale, and and seeing the word musical and seeing Piers Brosnan attached to it, I didn't know if that that should make this cold sweat well, run I mean, down my he, back he was, or not. His singing, his singing was so fabulous in Mamma Mia. They've obviously got him to reprise the uh, the role and just um, make a guest appearance. And God, does he sing? I wonder. I wonder if he would ever dare sing again. But yes, it was um, it was quite a striking um, bit of casting for Mamma Mia. I mean, not that I'm a big fan of that movie, but his bit in it is, uh, yeah, memorable is probably the word to use. Yeah, and and I don't know if you know this, Howard, or not, but it's not the first time that he and Minnie Driver have appeared on screen together. Ooh, now I'm racking my brains. Now you're going to have to tell me, I think, unless she was in one of the Bond films that I've forgotten about. She was in Golden oh, she? Ah, Gosh, I had forgotten that. And she had a cameo in Goldeneye because I think even then she was more famous than the amount of time she had on screen. But there was a scene where Piers Brosnan goes to Robbie Coltrane, who plays the yes, Russian gangster, mm-hmm. goes to his nightclub to talk to him. And in the background, there's a woman singing very badly a version of Stand By Your Man in a really bad Russian accent. And, she's, and, and Piers Brosnan says, who's murdering the cat? And it, and then Robbie Coltrane goes mur- mur- murder in the ki- what? He goes that's my girlfriend and and starts shooting at um, Piers Brosnan and it was I Minnie Driver. I did not Driver know that. I like a good Bond movie, that. and uh, that wasn't a bad one. But um, yeah, I didn't know she was in that. It's a little cameo. So you live and learn. Yeah. Well, next time you see that, it's the only scene she's in, but she's in the background in the club and she's up on the stage singing very badly. Stand by Excellent. your man. I'll look out for that next time. Um, I sing Golden Eye in a really heavily accented um, Russian <laughs> voice. Anyway, that's Cinderella. That's that's your new release. It comes out on the 3rd of September um, and it's on Amazon Prime Video and it's an original movie of theirs. When we return, we'll be finding out which film this month is, according to Howard, too good to be forgotten. The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St. Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Part three now of the Film Guide. And this is where we uh, look at a film that Howard believes is too good to be forgotten. Howard. Right. So this is a, an unusual choice in a way because I normally go for something a little bit older, but I think this movie is already a bit forgotten, even though it's from 2015. And I think it was um, overlooked and underrated because it's good fun. It's a, mostly a comedy with a serious overtone. The movie is Danny Collins, and it's got Al Pacino in it as an aging singer. And what I liked about this was, <clears throat> apart from the supporting cast, which I'll come to in a moment, uh, who are all very good, it's um, it's based very loosely on a true, not story, but an incident, if you like. Now, the plot of Danny Collins involves the fact that the guy is quite elderly. He's very rich. He lives in Hollywood. He's got you know the mansion. He's got the cars. 
he keeps going on to her and he's singing to an increasingly elderly audience, mostly female, um, and he's reliving the same act over and over again. So think Rod Stewart, think Neil Diamond, that kind of character. And then he gets a letter, but the letter um, is 40 years old or thereabouts because it was sent by John Lennon. Now, this is based on a true story because Steve Tilston, um, a folk singer, this actually happened to him. And this is the premise of the movie. So both characters, the the real-life guy and the fictional version, uh, Danny Collins, they share the story, which is that um, they did an interview in a magazine just as they were about to make it big and get get wealthy and uh, get all the plaudits. And in that interview, they're asked, you know, do you think fame and money will change you? And they say, yes, and it scares me. And, you know, I worry that I could ruin my career and myself. And John Lennon, in real life, wrote to this guy, Steve, and said, don't worry, mate, money and fame won't change you. Only you can do that. But the fella in real life did not get the letter for 40 years. It went to someone else who kept it. So Danny Collins, in the film, gets this letter and basically is told, only you can ruin your career, and realizes that perhaps he has because now he's the archetypal sellout singing the same old songs to grandmothers these days and thinking, I've got to do something about this. So I guess, Danny, um, do you know that movie? Have you ever seen it or is it new to you? Uh, I, I knew of it. Um, I, I didn't know about the, the story that you just shared there. Um, so I'm, I'm slightly thrown because I was saying on the other podcast show that we do, I said, oh, Howard will be up uh, on the podcast. And one of the things he does is he always picks a crime film. So I was thinking, <laughs> oh, it'll be some kind of crime film. And even when I saw the cast, I thought, yeah, it's a crime film. And then as as you started talking about it, I remembered, because this is what, from about six years ago? It's relatively recently, isn't it? Yeah, 2015. So um, I, as I say, I deliberately went for it, even though it's not, um, you know, ancient, but I do think it was overlooked and therefore pretty much forgotten. But what I like about it, as well as the premise, is the way it's done because Al Pacino has great fun playing a kind of Rod Stewart, Neil Diamond style character. And he goes on um, a quest to kind of restore a little bit of faith in himself. And he checks into a local hotel. He goes to try and meet the son he has never met before, who's not like 19 or 12. He's in his you know mid thirties, he's married to Jennifer Garner, who plays uh, you know plays the wife in that very well. She's very sassy and very good. Um, Christopher Plummer plays Al Pacino's agent in this. Danny Collins' agent. What a what an actor that man was, and he was um, you know he has he has great fun with some of the lines in this. Um, but you would expect from this point on that what would happen is that Danny Collins, played by Al Pacino, would immediately kind of form a bond with his son and immediately start recording music like he used to, and you could probably guess the rest. But you won't guess the rest because they don't do it quite as clear-cut as you might think. They go down the route you think they're going down, and then they veer off. And it's just done really well. It's fun. It's the, the lines that Christopher Plummer and um, Al Pacino deliver as well. They're really well-written, and, of course, two of the finest actors in the world. And Jennifer Garner's really good as well. So they're, they're given the lines, and they deliver them brilliantly. And it is fun. And I, it passed the daughter test. I sat and watched it with my 15-year-old daughter, and she was laughing as much as I was. We watched it on DVD the other day. 
so what is the um uh what because this is a film that is set around music what are the musical performances like does it um do they work does al pacino sing live or 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 you know how how do they handle that because sometimes i think in these sorts of films that can sometimes let it down slightly that it feels a bit fake or the 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 star is is clearly miming or you know what what, how authentic did that feel um i think al pacino got away with this in a way i mean he's not clearly not professional standard singer he's good enough but the point of danny collins's character is that he just belts them out now you know you say so i suppose it's i'm not having a pop at neil diamond because quite like neil diamond but it's a bit like belting out sweet caroline you know we can we can kind of all think we can do that on the uh, you know on the karaoke or when the jukebox is on and everybody in the pub is singing along so the fact that he he sort of belts out the tunes and is full of energy for, for an older man but maybe not the world's greatest singer. It doesn't really matter because you can imagine the real Danny Collins being a bit like this by this point. So he gets away with it. Okay, uh, thank you. That's the film, Danny. Co- Danny Col- I should get that name right, really, shouldn't I? Danny yeah, Collins yes. is the uh, the film uh, by uh, with Al Pacino. Uh, what a cast as well! Al Pacino, Annette Benning, Benning. My word, I'm not doing well on this. Um, and Christopher Plummer, uh, Bobby Cannavale is in there as well. Uh, lots of other people besides. Um, but. Uh, uh, a recommendation from Howard that film is too good to be forgotten you heard it here first uh, and uh, we will have Howard's choice of films on free to air TV in a moment Hi I'm Elspeth Jackman inviting you to listen to my podcast One to One with Elspeth find a local person with a story and I'll be there to draw out all those little details you want to know about if I'm fascinated so will you be. Each week I'll be talking to an interesting character who has a tale to tell. And the beauty of it is you can listen whenever you want to. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for the St Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalbanspodcast.com slash Elspeth. That's One to One with Elspeth, part of the St. Albans podcast in association with the Hearts Advertiser. You never know, you could be my next guest. Time now to take a look at Howard Linsky's choice of films on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week, starting off with Friday the 3rd of September at 9pm on Sony Movies Classic, Alfie. What's it all about? Well, yeah, I'm glad you asked me that. What's it all about, indeed? Um... Alfie is, as many of you will know, an absolute classic. It stars Michael Caine as um, a London uh, womanizer. It was the movie that really catapulted him to fame around about the time when he did the Harry Palmer movies. And the, and he, he was initially known for Zulu, but Alfie really launched him and made him uh, bankable, but also someone that Hollywood came calling for. So um, <clears throat> he plays a character we shouldn't like. He basically treats women appallingly. Um, they're disposable, they're sex objects, or they're used for domestic reasons, you know, cooking his food, ironing his shirts, that kind of thing. But he does have the lovable rogue thing at the beginning, and I think as we get, as we go through the movie, if you've not seen it, or even if you have, um, you may recall that it sort of backfires on him. So he, at one point, gets uh, a woman pregnant, and she has a child, but he doesn't really want to commit to her and marry her, so he ends up um, losing her and the kid. There's another bit where Jane Seymour, um, who was you know stunningly beautiful actress, is in it, and um, he treats her badly, um, and she walks out on him. Um, I guess you've seen it, have you, Danny? 
uh, yeah, um, I was going to ask you, is this something where do you have to watch it with different eyes? Like if you watch it compared to today's standards, it's it's appalling and it's reprehensible and his behaviour is 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 shocking. Um, but in its day, I'm guessing he was probably more idolised. His, his way of being was perhaps how a lot of people wanted to, you know, a lot of blokes wanted to be like that and a lot of women wanted their fellas to be like that. I mean, you, you were around back then because you're really old. What, what, what did you, what, how was, how was the world like, what was the reception of this at the time? Yeah, I was Alfie's personal friend back then. I'm so elderly. So, <laughs> so I know that world very well. Um, I think even then that it was not a question of looking at Alfie thinking Alfie's got it nailed. Alfie's got it all. He thinks he has, but every time he interacts with a woman, it ends badly for him. And at the, at the end of the movie, it doesn't really spoil the movie to tell you that he does this whole, he does quite a lot of stuff where he's um, talking to the audience, which is quite rare in cinema. So he literally turns to the audience. And at the end of the movie, he basically says, now, if women ain't got you one way, they've got you the other way. And meaning that he's, he thinks he's free, but he's troubled. And he, he makes the point that he hasn't got his peace of mind. And if you ain't got your peace of mind, you ain't got anything. So you realise that <clears throat> the only person who really thinks that his life is wonderful during the movie is him. Every time you think, oh, I'd quite like to be Alfie, you really wouldn't. I mean, all the, he, at one point he seduces the wife of a man. He's in a um, like a rest home for, um, uh, I think he's got uh, an illness for his lungs and he goes in there and he has to stay for a while and he befriends a guy and then seduces that guy's rather... I think the word they use in the in the um, movie is sort of frumpy wife, but she has an affair with Alfie, and you think, oh, you know, that's, that's appalling. He's slept with the guy's wife, and he doesn't really care about her, and he's supposed to be friends with the guy, but she gets pregnant, and then she has to have a, an abortion, and this is at a time when abortion isn't legal, and it has a massive effect on him, even though he doesn't necessarily change his ways. So every time Alfie thinks he's won, he actually loses, and we see that even if he doesn't. Okay, that's uh, Alfie. Uh, that's the first choice from uh, Howard Linsky. Interestingly, Howard, um, being from the northeast of England, uh, I thought that you did a better Michael Caine impression than Michael Caine does of the accent from your neck of woods from Get Carter. I don't know if you felt that yourself. Well, uh, to be fair, I love Get Carter, but there's no way that lad is a Geordie. And I think in a way, it's probably good that Michael Caine didn't attempt to do the accent and get it horribly wrong. Most actors do get it badly wrong. He is meant to be the brother of a Geordie who's killed, and he's been away working for the fictional equivalent of the Cray Twins, so he goes home to Newcastle, but he's got an elephant in Castle accent, not a Newcastle accent. And um, the film's still brilliant anyway. You've just got to suspend your belief. But I'm, I'm kind of glad that Michael Caine didn't ruin a Geordie accent. He's one of my favourite actors, as you'll probably pick up on the fact that he's in another movie in a moment that I really like. Um, he's an yeah. absolute legend. Well, why I, man? Yeah, why I? he comes up next. <laughs> uh, sorry, that was a very bad attempt. Um, but yeah, he's, um, he's on in your next choice as well. <laughs> yeah, he's on yes. in, in in the next choice, which is um, nine pm on Saturday, the fourth of September, on Sony Movies Classic again, and it's um, Funeral in Berlin. Yes, another nineteen sixty six movie, very different from Alfie. Funeral in Berlin is a, a, a spy film, basically a Cold War spy film. It was directed by Guy Hamilton, who um, you might know from directing the Bond movies. It's based on the novel by Len Dayton. And it's the follow-up to um, his other novel, 
turned into a movie with Michael Caine, The Ipcris File. So if you like The Ipcris File, um, you're going to like Funeral in Berlin. Um, it's basically the plot is <clears throat> that secret agent Harry Palmer is back and he has to go to Berlin, where they have the Berlin Wall, obviously, at this time. And it's all about getting um, a KGB colonel to defect and come over the wall and use the people who have been getting people over the wall. And then that plot then gets suitably um, confused and convoluted in the sense that we don't quite know who's good and who's bad. And, um, yeah, my, uh, Michael Caine as Harry Palmer just populates that world really well. He um, somehow manages to, to to get through it without being um, completely uh, finished off and betrayed by the bad guys. And it's just it's very atmospheric. It's good fun. Um, I, I just I like a Cold War thriller. I mean, doesn't everybody, Danny? You know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The, these were great films, and these were very much the antithesis of the Bond films, where Bond was um, le- leading a luxurious, glamorous lifestyle. This was very much, you know, showing a spy as very much like a kitchen sink sort of drama, and there was nothing particularly glamorous about this. And one always got the impression that this was probably more like how it might have been than the Bond films, which are just complete pure fantasy. Uh, and interestingly, as you, you, you sort of mentioned there, the, the amount of associations with the Bond films, because it wasn't just the Bond director, Guy Hamilton, who did um, Goldfinger and some of the other early Bond films, but it was also Harry Saltzman, who was one of the Bond producers, produced this series as well. John Barry did the music. There were so many Bond connections, weren't there? Yeah, there certainly were. But as you say, it's the antithesis, or antithesis, however, yeah, I'll put my teeth back in and say it properly, of um, the James Bond movies. I like a Bond movie, but we know they're kind of silly. Um, the, uh, Harry Palmer is the opposite of Bond. So he does get involved in the occasional fight and occasionally he pulls a gun. But it's he's much more of a, um, a recognisable figure. He's a bit of a low life. He's a criminal who was given a choice to either work for the Secret Services and use his skills with them or go to prison. So that's how he starts as a secret agent, which is a little bit different to the uh, public school educated Bond who volunteers to do things for Queen and Country. And I guess the world of Harry Palmer is shabbier, more realistic, and you feel it a bit more, I think. Um, yeah. And now, did you also know, um, as I, it's quite apparent you're a fan of these things, that um, in the 90s, uh, Michael Caine did two more Harry Palmer movies, uh, Bullet to Beijing and Midnight in St. Petersburg. Um, and apparently Len Dayton's name was, was on the beginning of both of those movie titles, um, but he didn't actually have anything to do with those movies. But but I, I don't know if they're based on other works of his, but did, were you familiar with these films? Uh, yes, and I was keen to see them until the reviews came in at the time. So, I mean, I thought, oh, good, he, Harry Palmer's coming back. And the reviews in the 90s for the cinema versions, I don't think it even really hit many screens. They were really bad. I think Jason Connery's in one of them from memory. and. Not that long ago, I checked them out to see if they were available on DVD, just to maybe give them a, um, a you know a look where I perhaps have a bit more time and wouldn't have to you know get on a train and go and see them at a cinema somewhere. Um, and again, the reviews are just bad, bad reviews. And I thought this is going to ruin Harry Palmer for me, isn't it? It's like going to see somebody making a comeback and finding they've lost their voice or a footballer you like come out of retirement and he can't play anymore. And I just thought, nah, I'm not going to bother. I wasn't a big fan of Billion Dollar Brain, actually, which is the third in the series, but I do love the Ipcris file and Funeral in Berlin. So I, I don't want the, I don't want the memories ruined for me. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, that's, um, that, that's, 
the next choice though that uh, that that has been made by Howard there funeral uh, in Berlin the second Harry Palmer film from 1966 same year as Alfie Michael Caine was on a roll and that's uh, Saturday the 4th of September 9 p.m. on Sony Movies Classic uh, Sunday the 5th of September 10 p.m. on BBC2 we have The Keeper tell us about that Yes, so this is a bit more of a, a, a modern one, and it's good to see it on TV. It's from 2018, and I really like this. Now, some of you listening to this will know who Bert Troutman is, and some won't, but Bert Troutman is an interesting guy because he was a goalkeeper in the late 40s and throughout the 50s and early 60s, and he played initially for St. Helens, but he joined Manchester City and became one of the most famous players of the era, partly because he was an extremely good goalkeeper, but, but primarily, I suppose, in a way, his fame comes from the fact that he was a German and he started out as a German prisoner of war who was taken to um, England to, to basically um, be a prisoner of war but also to try and rebuild things because, you know, there was a kind of punishment element there when, when we had the prisoners in the camps, they were meant to rebuild things. And at some point he was spotted playing football and was allowed to leave the camp that he was in to go and play for St. Helens, who were then... Um, doing badly he did really well Manchester City spied him signed him up and uh, what happened to him at St Helens happened to him on, on a much bigger level at Man City in the sense that everywhere he went initially there was outrage because you know nearly everybody had been touched by the second world war they'd lost husbands they'd lost fathers they'd lost sons brothers so there was this man who became a figure of hate initially who gradually and then kind of all of a sudden because of his skill and his character and temperament won people over now this all culminated with an incredible incident in the 1956 fa cup final he's playing for manchester city there are 20 minutes to go man city are winning and he get this breaks his neck and carries on now you, you think to yourself well how could that possibly happen because you think a broken neck, that's fatal, or he wouldn't be able to move. But he has a break, and um, he just carries on. And he doesn't realise until afterwards what he's done. And, you know, he must be made of iron is all I can say. But he, he just became world famous after that. And by the time he retired in the 60s, um, he was honoured in both countries, in England. I was in Britain, I suppose, but but he was an English football – sorry, playing in the English football league. So in England and Germany – he was legendary for having forged links between two countries who were formerly at war with each other. So he's a he's a well-known figure on both sides. Um, uh, well, both countries, I should say. Both sides okay. of the war, in effect. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the keeper. Sounds quite fascinating. Um, and I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think if I had any sort of FA Cup trivia that, that might have impressed you. That uh, It's not film-related at all, but the only thing I could come up with, uh, which is St Albans-related, is that um, there's a guy called Billy Minter who played for St Albans City a long, long, long time ago. And uh, he's still in the record books for scoring the most number of goals um, in an FA Cup match, but being on the losing side. And he scored seven goals, but St Albans City lost 8-7. St Albans City sound a bit like Newcastle United, who I have the misfortune to support. So yeah, that's pretty unlucky. Seven goals and still on the losing side. That's incredible. But, but but no one's ever likely to beat that record of scoring more goals and be on the losing side. So that record's probably safe, isn't it? That's it. That's his. I don't think that's ever going to get beaten. 
I think you're right, and I think also he's become quite famous for that in in a way. He's a, he's a, the answer to a pub pub quiz question, isn't he? Whereas had he scored seven in a seven nil win, we wouldn't know anything about him. So fair no. play to him. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, he did he did incredibly well there, and uh, and yeah, he was for many years was in an unmarked grave in St Albans, and a couple of years ago, um, a St Albans City football club fan and club historian Dave Tavener, who has been on the podcast before, he actually um, helped to raise money to get the get um, a tombstone erected so yeah, uh, there you go him. you can That's see that story, now yeah. in one of the local cemeteries here in St Albans and if I really cared I'd have known which one but anyway um so we took the film was the keeper um sunday the 5th of september 10 p.m on bbc2 let's move to monday the 6th of september and uh we have on film 4 at 1:30 in the morning um the film is joy now guessing is that 1:30 tuesday morning uh yeah oh hang on yeah i guess it must no, I will look that up while you tell I, us yes, about. I'm not joy. actually sure. Yeah, sorry, because I wrote my notes a little while ago. So, I think I was, to be honest with you, I was struggling on that day to find a good movie. <clears throat> I almost admitted defeat and said, "Let's move on to the next day." Um, but I found Joy, um, and it is a pretty good movie. It's an unusual one for for someone like myself to like because it follows a true life story of a woman called Joy Mangano, who was a self made millionaire and created her own business empire um, around products, the sort of things you'd see on, um, is it QVC, the shopping channels? And I actually watched them. You'd be surprised to learn. But um, she she went on there. She invented a mop initially. Now, this sounds like the most boring movie uh, imaginable when I describe it like this, but it isn't. It's very, it's very good. It's David O. Russell who wrote it and directed it, and Jennifer Lawrence, as in Hunger Games, Jennifer Lawrence plays Joy. And I think largely because of the strength of her performance and a good script, and um, illustrating the ups and downs of this woman's life, some of which are factual and some of which, I'll be honest with you, from what I gather are fictional. It's a, it's a good movie. It's watchable. I found myself kind of, um, you know, sitting down one night, low expectations and really quite enjoying it. So I'd say it's the best of a bad bunch that day. Okay. It is Monday. It is very early hours of Monday morning. I've just double checked. Um, but it's got a great cast. Um, and it's not just Jennifer Lawrence, but she's reteamed with Bradley Cooper and Robert De Niro, who were all in David O. Russell's Silver Linings Playbook, which, which is a great movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's, that's joy. Uh, Diane Ladd is in there as well. Um, and, uh, I'm just looking down the list. Isabella Rossellini's in it. Um, it's got quite an impressive cast. It's an incredible cast, and I think that's probably what um, you know got, got me sticking with it. I mean, every everybody in it is very, very good, and the script's good. So uh, I think if you told me before I'd heard who was in it, what it was about, I'd probably kind of, yeah, really? Do I want to say a thing about a woman who invented a mop and, and made some money? And sort of ultimately that's what it's about. But she, it's more about overcoming obstacles and becoming someone who didn't have a lot going on uh, to becoming a you know very successful and multi-millionaire and um you know it's the hurdles she has to overcome and it's very well acted so worth a watch the woman with the mop cleaned up is, is basically the movie isn't it that is it that's probably the tagline underneath it i should imagine or if it isn't it should be <laughs> it should be yeah okay that's the film uh joy which is on uh monday the 6th of september one thirty in the morning on film four uh, we move to Tuesday, the 7th of September, and uh, 5.10pm uh, on uh, Great Movies Action, we have Cockle Shell Heroes. 
Yeah, so from 2000, uh, sorry, I think it was, um, was it 2005, Joy, or was it 2015? Let me just remind myself. Oh, Joy was 2015. Yeah, Yeah. so 2015, this is 1955, so quite a gap is the point I was about to make. So Cockleshell Heroes. 60 years. Yes, indeed, with Trevor Howard, who was possibly one of the finest actors, um, I guess, ever, and, and somewhat underrated. I think most people think he was really, really good, but he is very underrated in the sense that he doesn't get the... Um, plaudits that a lot of people in his generation got, but I think he's good in everything. So um, he basically plays an officer in the the Royal Marine Commandos, and it's based on the true story of a military operation where a small number of commandos were sent in um, to try and destroy some German shipping. So this stuff is um, shipping that was, was full of cargoes that were helping the war effort, and they couldn't be got at in any other way. So some bright spark came up with an idea, which was eventually called Operation Frankton. And it was in 1942, a raid on shipping using canoes and limpet mines. So probably as low tech an attack on something as you could probably have at the time. These were um, canoes that could be collapsed and and launched through, um, well, pushed out through a submarine torpedo tube. You drag it through, erect it, and off you go, paddling away. So are you familiar with that one, Danny? It's quite an old now, one. Now, um, I, I am not, but I gather this is something of a real interest of yours because you've, you've written books uh, that have been historical um, uh, books, haven't you, that have been set during World War II. So this is something of a passion of yours. Is that right? Yeah, I think I'm passionate about things I can't do. So being, being tough and macho and paddling canoes and blowing up ships is probably something that would always fascinate me because I wouldn't even know how to paddle a canoe in the right direction. Um, but yes, I do. I've got a real interest in um, military history from World War II, so I'm a bit of a sucker for an old war movie if it's a good one. Um, but this is a good one. It passes that test of, it, you know, it's well acted, it's well written, there's some fun scenes in it. Um, there's a good scene on YouTube, if you want to check it out, where uh, Trevor Howard uh, realises that one of his men has gone missing during training and the rest of the men aren't really want to tell him what's going on and he's like, come on, you've got to tell me. And they say, well, he's having having trouble at home, sir. So he turns up at the man's house to realise that the wife is having an affair with the lodger. And he then goes to the local pub and finds the man in there having a drink. And the guy thinks, oh, dear, he's going to drag me back to barracks. But no, Trevor Howard gives him 15 minutes to go in and beat up the lodger while standing outside, calmly telling the policeman that everything's fine as, as things are broken and the woman screams and the guy takes an absolute shellacking while he's thrown around the house and things get broken. So, yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen that scene, Danny, but check now, it out on YouTube. It's good. Oh, well, look, I'll look for that. So um, the Cockleshell Heroes, um, I've noticed on the poster and on the list that I've got here that Trevor Howard isn't actually top build. He's second build. Ah, is that uh, – so who – Anthony Valentine was in it, I think. Is he one of the ones that's uh, – or am I getting mixed up again? Probably. Um, I haven't written all the rest of the cast down because, you know – um, there were a no- oh sorry Anthony Newley not Anthony Valentine I'm getting my ears mixed up I think Anthony Newley's in it and um, uh, yeah but I, I I just considered him to be the main man I mean there's lots of character actors in there that you would recognise but I think if I start throwing their names out um, your average uh, film fan's going to be not really knowing who I'm banging on about but no I didn't realise he didn't have top billing who who's got top billing then Danny got me in well, suspense so the top billing was um, Jose Ferrer. And Jose Ferrer was also the director. And um, I think that was that was a little bit unusual back then. You know, um, actor-directors weren't as common as perhaps they are today. 
so I, I was I was just intrigued by that. That yeah, Jose Ferrer and 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 in the poster, there's um, the three the three main actors are, are sort of depicted, and Jose Ferrer's in the top, and Trevor Howard is the second actor to be seen there. But but certainly all the information and and other supporting um, pictures and other material all have uh, Trevor Howard front and centre. But I was just really more trying to draw out the fact that Jose Ferrer, um, as well as starring in it, directed it. Yes, I think I think it must be a classic case of Jose Ferrer, the actor, um, storming in to see the director and insist on top billing, and to, only to find that that was fine because he's the director too. So he, he got his name on the poster first. But yeah, I, I, I rest my case. I think most people would say Trevor Howard is the star of that movie. They play officers from two different worlds, really, and they clash. Um, in and, and a lot of it is fictionalized the, the the story i mean it's well worth reading up on the actual operation because it was a bit of a suicide mission only two men came back um and i think they had 11 initially and um two of them died of hypothermia and some of them were uh, taken by the germans and there was a thing called a commando order back then so if you were f- if you were caught doing a commando raid you were executed um you weren't taken as a prisoner of war so most of the guys who did that uh, operation were executed, but they did blow up some ships. So they, they, they succeeded in their primary objective, but at great cost. But it is a good film. It's well worth checking out. Okay. So that's uh, Tuesday, the 7th of September, 5.10 p.m. on Great Movies Action. The film is The Cockleshell Heroes. Let's move to Wednesday, the 8th of uh, September. And I want to know if Howard Linsky thinks this is possibly the greatest Western ever made. Um, but uh, the film on 11.05pm on the Paramount Network is Unforgiven. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do think it is the greatest movie, uh, sorry, the greatest Western movie ever made. Um, and if it isn't, then I'd be curious to know what beats it. So it's the Unforgiven. Um, I should think many people know it's uh, Clint Eastwood um, starring, but you mentioned about stars directing. He directed this one. Um, it got a, a shed load of Oscars. So he got um, Best Film and Best Director for him. Gene Hackman, I think, got Best Supporting Actor for this one. Um, Richard Harris is in it. He's always very good. Morgan Freeman's in it. And um, he plays a guy uh, called Money. I think it's uh, from memory now. In fact, I need to check it. Yes, William Money. So he's a former gunman who was basically a complete thug. Uh, he drank a lot and... I think his phrase is he killed everything that uh, walked or crawled at some point and is saved by the love of a good woman. So he's now a farmer with kids. The wife has died. The farm is completely failing. And then he gets word that um, uh, basically a prostitute has been attacked by someone and cut badly. And and the, the interesting thing about this is she is um, severely injured, but the story gets exaggerated and exaggerated. So the more by the time he's heard it, She's been mutilated, and it sounds horrendous. And he um, decides to go in and help to um, catch the people that did this and kill them, partly for justice, but primarily because there's money available that's been raised by the other prostitutes in this brothel. They've all given money, um, and they say, you know, if you if you kill the people that have done this, we'll give you a reward. And that immediately annoys the local hard case sheriff, Gene Hackman, um, so <clears throat> he comes into contact with um, Clint Eastwood. Um, it doesn't end well to begin with, and it certainly doesn't end well at the end. Uh, but it's just really, really good. And it's very thoughtful about um, killing and death and reasons to kill and whether it's ever justified and the effect that it has on men. Um, so it's not just a, 
a Western with lots of shooting and it's not just a Western with loads of, um, you know, man's got to do what a man's got to do. So I guess you're as familiar with that movie as I am, Danny. Well, yeah. So um, I was uh, in, intrigued by your choice because I, I, I think it is one of the finest Westerns ever made. And I think that's saying something because Clint Eastwood has made some pretty fine Westerns, let alone all the others who've made great Westerns over the years. Um, but I was I thought a couple of points that I wanted to sort of draw out of you on this a little bit was the casting you mentioned there. Um, somebody, I remembered reading an article at the time that somebody had added up the ages of the main cast and it was blooming old because they're all old people. You know, it's, it's the main, the main four main actors are all over 60, I believe. Um, G- Clint Eastwood, Gene Hackman, Morgan Freeman, and Richard Harris. And, and also, I'd, I'd heard at the time Clint Eastwood said in an interview that he'd been wanting to make this film for a very long time, but he didn't feel he was old enough. So he kept putting it off until he felt he was the right age for the character. And I didn't know if you wanted to comment on either of that. Yeah, I think I think the casting and the ages of the cast is, is quite key because this is very much the idea of the flip side of any kind of glorious or romantic West. So we've it's not Shane or High Noon or even some of the early Eastwood movies. This is... Um, taking the myth of the Wild West and turning it upside down and basically showing you that, that you know, it was grim. Um, a lot of the discussion between the characters is about the fact it's not about being fast on the draw or accurate or whether, you know, guns will often not work. So Richard Harris's character is famous for having had a gunfight in which he killed a man, but um, as, as the story is told in this, the other man's gun jammed at the wrong moment, and Richard Harris was completely annihilated on drink at that point. So you've got a drunk trying to shoot another guy. The first guy would have won the gunfight, but his gun jammed, and uh, that is uh, that is a sort of uh, a small incident that explains a little bit about the style of the whole movie, that it's debunking myths, really, and it's, it does it so well. Yeah, that's um, that's unforgiven. A, a classic western. Uh, Clint Eastwood got a lot of plaudits for that film, and quite right too. Um, from nineteen ninety two, uh, th- and it's on Wednesday, the eighth of September, eleven o five p.m. on the Paramount Network. Which takes us now to Howard's final choice for the film guide this time round, and uh, another film, another spy movie from nineteen sixty six. And this one uh, is on 9pm on Talking Pictures TV, Thursday the 9th of September. It is one that people may not have heard of, but it's called The Quiller Memorandum. Yeah, so, I mean, what a coincidence. We've got three movies that were in 1966. This one was probably not as well known as the others, and it doesn't have... It could have been a Michael Caine role, really, because it's a Cold War thriller. And as you mentioned, George Siegel is in it. <clears throat> it's the kind of thing that could have been written by Len Dayton. Um, it also co-stars Alex Guinness, he was very good in it, and um, he um, he sort of plays the spy master um, guy, and he um, basically is responsible for getting George Siegel <clears throat> to go and break into uh, a Nazi network and bring down neo-Nazis who are trying to make a comeback. So I, it's one of those things where the plot is probably a little bit secondary to the style, but if you like a good Cold War thriller, if you like things set and filmed in the 60s, um, Siegel is obviously kind of an uh, Easter watch kind of actor. He's got a certain amount of style. Um, it's a good supporting cast. Um, it's just a trip down memory lane, the kind of movie you'd have stayed up late to watch in your childhood, I suppose, if you're as old as me. And, um, you know, there aren't that many Harry Palmer films. This is almost like Harry Palmer light, really. But I think you, you've, you've seen this yeah, one, and, haven't and, you? And but- also, 
Yeah, so I watched it um, some months ago, and it was a recommendation. And I'm not entirely sure it wasn't you that recommended it, um, but but yeah, it was. Um, you know, it is a a classic '60s spy film. It doesn't owe a lot to the Bond films, and that is to its credit. It, it it's it's serious. It's not spoofy, uh, and it probably feels more yeah closer to Harry Palmer's world of spying than James Bond's world. And and George Segal is quite dapper and he does look you know quite quite sophisticated and and elegant and and what have you but um and also he's american which which changes it slightly from the other films we've talked of but he's not too flashy and he doesn't have gadgets and so it's not gimmicky in the way that the 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 spoofs of the bond films of the time were um and it does sort of stand on its own two feet and i think that's to its credit yes i agree i think um it's not flashy there isn't uh, a lot going on i mean there's the occasional you know i think there's one explosion on occasions where people pull a gun but that's it's few and far between and it's more about style and um a certain ambience around the cold war a little bit of intrigue and i think but the, the appeal of those movies whether they're with harry palmer or the character that george siegel plays in this one is not knowing who's who and who's on what side and who the good guys are and who are the bad guys and that gives that element of danger it adds that to it where you don't quite know what's going to happen so yeah it's 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 worth a watch a little a little forgotten classic that one i think and and i think if when you're watching it you could be forgiven for um thinking that it is somewhat reminiscent of other 60s things that we've just mentioned there not least because the music by john barry who who seemed to clean up this uh, this market didn't he so you know did the bond films did the harry palmer films and then he said harry potter different film series there but um yeah bond and palmer were both uh john barry as was this uh so um yeah from 1966 the quiller memorandum um and that rounds up um your choice of films for another another month uh so thank you very much for that howard um the quiller memorandum is on 9 p.m on talking pictures tv on thursday the 9th of september all the films that have been recommended in the film guide at the end and in this part will be listed in the description of this podcast episode right now uh, along with um information about your your film that was too good to be forgotten if the listener could only watch one of those movies which one would be your film of the week? Which one would you recommend? Of, oh, well, of the I think it would, ones on TV. Yeah, I think it would have to be Alfie. Great stuff. Yeah, I, well, think, I, just, well, I think that the, the for sheer, I mean, the script is fabulous, the, the performance by Michael Caine. There's a man who's about to be launched and become a major movie star, and he, he takes on that role as if he was born to play it, really. And I think it's a very good script. And, you know, he's, he, he um, you start out sort of sympathizing with him when you shouldn't, but then you realize. Yeah, he's not. Um, he's not got the glorious life that you would actually want. It's much more nuanced than that. So check it out if you've not seen that one. It's brilliant. Okay, that's Alfie. Um, that's uh, that's Howard's film of the week. Thank you very much, Howard. Uh, next week on the film guide, it's the return of Chris Aikman and producer Sam. Uh, and Howard will be back doing this again real soon. Uh, take care, Howard, and take care, dear listener. See you all soon. <laughs>